1: a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter.
2: I guess if you had to lay an egg every day, you'd be pretty proud of yourself, too. <laughs> yeah.
1: Are you ready, Drew? Yes, sir. Hillary, are you ready? Yeah. All right. So give us a little background to how you were raised. You weren't raised in a hunting lifestyle, right?
2: Yeah, I, have a, I think I have a little bit of an interesting background because I actually was exposed to hunting um, in a few different ways, but my parents never hunted. Um, my parents were both Texans and they grew up, uh, my dad especially, grew up in a hunting family and um, from parents of the Depression, right? So they were, there was a lot of self-sustenance stuff going on, but... In the 70s, they left Texas and headed north to Colorado, and I guess you could call them part of the hippie generation. And um, my brother and I were born in Colorado, and my dad just never took to hunting. He tells stories about my grandpa hunting in Texas, and he didn't really feel drawn to it. He also didn't necessarily feel like the animals were respected, and he felt like a lot of the meat was wasted. And part of that was because they didn't prep it correctly. And you know, in the Texas heat, if you're not prepping the meat correctly, it can really spoil. So he saw a lot of waste go down and he just felt that that wasn't something that he could be a part of. So we, um, until I was 12, I would go fishing with my grandpa. We would go trout fishing, like catfish fishing. And so fishing was something I was raised with. Um, And growing up north of Yellowstone Park, we spent a lot of time in Yellowstone Park, fishing the Yellowstone Lake, and exploring the rivers in the backcountry of that area. Um, when I was 12, my dad left to go to the seminary to become a pastor. And unfortunately, that didn't work out well for my parents' marriage. Um, kind of a funny dichotomy there. But um, I always said that my dad left me for God. And I would say that for a number of years I had issues with that. But my dad was really young when he had us and started his family. And I I see now as a grown person that sometimes we don't find our passions till we're older. And we sometimes make sacrifices for that. But um, when I was 13, my mother met her second husband, who was a Native American here from Montana. And um, he... uh, interesting lifestyle that I obviously hadn't been exposed to but we were brought into native life and native cultural life here in Montana um, which I think looking back on it it was a very difficult time in my life uh, but it was a, it was probably amazingly cultural and, and a rich <laughs> exposure to things that I wouldn't have been exposed to if um, my mom hadn't met him. And so we spent a lot of time out on the reservation, out on the land. Um, He was a spiritual elder as well. We did a lot of sun dancing and um, fasting on the mountains and family camps and just um, kind of very different than living with my father, who was a pastor. But he did hunt, so my stepdad did hunt when he was younger and when I was in high school, he actually hunted. I remember my mom and I, we would, I would say we were fairly poor. Um, My mom worked and he worked, but we lived in, we lived in buildings with no running water. We lived in a trailer where we had to truck our water in on tanks. Um, I learned a great respect for water when I was a child, um, as a teenager, and how precious that resource is that we just take for granted. It just runs out of the faucet. And so that was a great experience for me. But my mother and I used to dress, you know, clean up the meat, cut the meat, and and preserve it for, for the rest of the year. And I remember vividly doing that as a teenager. And then there came a point where my stepdad, just one day decided to give away his weapons and gave away his bows and decided that he didn't wanna kill anything anymore. And from that moment on, um, as I remember it as a child, uh, hunter hunting became um, not a good thing. And I don't know what the transition was that created that sort of animosity, but I believe that um, part of that may have been the stereotypical hunter at the time in Montana, and obviously the Native Americans. There was, Native Americans are our largest minority in Montana um, and in the West, and unfortunately, their story is tragic, And um, but they also, Um, have their own tragic stories with wildlife management. And so I think that my stepfather was really torn between that, um, seeing animals decimated from the reservations. Um, And he just decided that he was going to start fighting for those animals instead of killing them. And um, they did a lot of work with the buffalo. They did a lot of work with the wolves. And I will say that being married to a hunter um, has had its challenges because of the way I was raised and the way I was taught to believe about wildlife. Um, Good.
1: Yeah. I'll that one. Okay. I know it's difficult. I know it's super difficult. <laughs>
2: um,
1: so you had this non-hunter perspective through your stepfather,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then you married Ryan. Mm-hmm who was a hunter when you married him, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Sort of, he was mainly a fisherman, but he hunted one week a year one week with a his year. dad. So And turkey hunted, I guess, and bird hunted, but not big game, one week of big game.
1: So how has your perspective on hunting changed through being married to a hunter and engaged and now in a hunting community?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, well, <laughs> When we got married 22 years ago, I don't think I thought about all those dynamics. When you're young and you get married, you're like, oh, "I'm in love. Let's get married." And then, as you age and as you have life experiences, um, and as you are just like my dad was, you're you're finding yourself and you're figuring it out. Is sometimes you realize that that doesn't always fit into what the original deal was when you got married. Um, My preconceptions of hunting when I got married were sort of, I put them in the back of my mind when I met Ryan because he had a charisma and a quietness and a, there was a spirituality about him that was hard to um, ignore. And he really, truly was wild and I, in, a, in, a, in a nature sort of way. So I, I love that about him. Um, and we were young. And then as um, we grew, his passion for big game hunting grew. And I, I believe that just early on in our relationship, my preconception idea of, of hunting and the stereotype that I was raised with, um, it really put a lot of prejudices on him from me um, and it created a lot of stress in our relationship because I couldn't quite, even though he was not hurting anybody, he was a healthier person for it. He was, um, I just felt always like he was being sort of selfish and not really um, understanding, like, how can you just kill an animal just to kill an animal, even though these animals are feeding us, which is always the difficult part when you think about it because otherwise I'd be buying a cow or a chicken or a, a lamb or something that was killed by somebody else at the store. So how can I have such a problem with him actually providing this meat for us? And it really just comes down to an emotional issue of what do I believe as a person, not what do my parents believe or, or you know, how, how other people are going to think of me if they know that my husband hunts. Uh, it really came down to how, how do I emotionally, truthfully feel about what he does and do I think it's bad? And when I asked myself that, literally, like more than a decade into our marriage, this was not an overnight thing. I it, it took years and years and years for him and I to come to this place where we are now. And I had to ask myself, like, what what is this that I hate so much about it? And I realized that it was partly ingrained in me, just from the way we're raised. There's there's definitely nature and nurture and the environments in which you live in and you're exposed to and the things that you're told and and the things that you see. I mean, I lived in an area where people drove around with their deer on the front of their truck and there wasn't a whole lot of respect shown to animals. And so I could understand that, but um, at the same time, I was happy to have that nutritious food, and I was happy that every single time we had a meal, my husband knew exactly where that food came from. He had a story, and in truth, if you want to get down to respect, is how awesome is it that you can be taking the life of an animal, and yet every time you eat it, you you are ingesting their life, and you are, it's like a profound respect that you have. And the story means everything. And so the question is, what is the story that you've been told about it? And is it your story or is it somebody else's story? And that's what I came to realize is that it's not my story. I don't hate him for doing this. I don't hate that he hunts. Um, And the other thing is I love healthy food. I, I believe that we all need nutrition and this is one of the reasons as a physician our communities are suffering, suffering from diseases that are literally preventable and avoidable if people just understood the power of where their food comes from. And so, um, even though it took me—it's taken me, you know, two decades to sit here and say that I think that hunting is has benefited my life. Um, I would. I would want you or anybody else that was listening to this and has a preconceived notion about who a hunter is, to really, to really ask yourself: um, Is there a reason that you're, is there a reason that you have a prejudice about this? Is there something that's stopping you from knowing a hunter, or listening to their story? And I think that we can change the stereotype. Unfortunately, there'll always be people that will, they will live out the stereotype. And, um, but what I've experienced in this community is a community of very health-minded people who love nature and love animals um, more than any person that's a non-hunter that I know. Conservation and the money put in and the respect put in and um, it's, it's just um, it's inspiring to be around that, and so as a non-hunter, I think that I've really benefited from having somebody in my life that um, wants to uh, that can do that, that can provide healthy meat for us and provide a story for us that can't really get with other food. Okay. I'll ask you. Okay.
1: And that's tied to what you started with, you know, the hunting poaching. Are there? misperceptions, mm-hmm. misconceptions mm-hmm. around hunting that are out there that a typical non-hunter uses that like you've mentioned before, hunting versus poaching. Right? They're used interchangeably and we all we know and, and, and you've learned that they're all vastly different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there any others? If you want to? We'll talk a little bit more. Talk to that hunting poaching piece, but then if there's anything else that is on your heart,
2: mm-hmm. just sure. Uh, yeah, I think um, growing up and growing up in Montana and and having firsthand experience, especially around the buffalo conflict, uh, farmers and ranchers and the Native American and then Yellowstone Park. And there's a time, and there still is, unfortunately. But, you know, I think that we see things. We all have, I think, a soft spot for animals if you have a heart at all. And I remember being, you know, a teenager and hearing these stories and knowing it and locally and and watching it is that you know buffalo would walk out of the park and they would just be killed by the ranchers just shot for no reason and this is like one of the last herds of buffalo on the planet you know these these animals ran the plains here in the millions and they were decimated in a very short period of time and so the, my experience about being around people that really wanted to save these animals and had a passion for them. Not only that, these animals are like the backbone of entire cultures. And um, at the same time, I, I think that, you know, seeing that those tragedies and needless death and wasted meat and, you know... And whatever the story is, um, at the same time, I think that it's important to realize that there is um, a necessary. There is a need for wildlife management, and that we, I think, the North American model and, and what we've learned from the past and from our mistakes in the past can be has in this country at least been pretty powerful, and. We now are, you know, the numbers of wildlife are back up. And it's, you know, it's a struggle. It's a place like, where is it hunting? And I think a lot of people confuse hunting, legal hunting with poaching. And um, is it fair to just kill an animal because it's walking onto your property? Um, I don't know. That's a question that we all have to, to ask ourselves. But I also know that when... My husband hunts, he's paid a lot of money into the system um, that's going to give life back into those habitats. Um, Whenever somebody says to me hunting is poaching, (laughs) I say obviously you don't understand how the system works. And I think that a big problem with that is the way the media portrays it. The media portrays hunting as you just go out and kill stuff. And maybe I even thought that too. Just like you go out and you just kill the buffalo when they walk across the line. That's not what's happening. And in the North American model, um, there's rules, there's laws, there's times. These animals are regulated. There's even years where they shut it down. There's no hunting in that area because there's no numbers for that. or The winter was really hard. And so... um, poaching, poaching is just randomly killing, needlessly killing, maybe they're doing it for food, maybe they're doing it, obviously in a lot of countries, they're doing it for resources to sell for things like healthcare reasons, <laughs> you know, they, they attribute it to that and it's unfortunate. But I think that um, if you're non-hunter and you don't understand the system, that you should learn about it because you'll realize that the the, main majority of hunters, probably 99% of hunters in North America, um, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but for North America are legally hunting animals that are being maintained now by their conservation efforts and letting those animals be there for all of us to enjoy. And that's the most important thing is that... um, whether you just go hiking in the mountains or, you know, mountain biking or hunting or camping or fishing, all those resources are there so that we can enjoy those animals. And a very small select of people choose to, um, and when I say a small select group, hunters make up a very small group of people in, in North America. And those are the people that choose to Legally procure meat and have the experience and the adventure of hunting. And let let me say lastly, as a as a physician, and I want, I'd like to call myself an anthropologist, and an ecologist, and a geneticist. It, you wouldn't be alive if your ancestors didn't hunt. So there's always a percentage of your population that is going to need somebody out there that's the warrior that's the hunter and um when we stop kind of when we start ignoring the fact that we aren't genetically that different from our ancestors and we start um quantifying everything as um good or bad then we (laughs) then we kind of lose our individuality and not everybody's not everybody's made, you know, um, not everybody's made from the same mold and not everybody can hunt and not everybody can kill. Um, But the small select few who can, they're the ones who feed us. So if the mass farming and the mass production of food were to stop tomorrow, I guarantee you, you'd want somebody in your community who could get that meat for you. <laughs> it, would be very, it would be as important as the person who can grow the garden and as a person who can gather the water and as a person who can build the structures. You need that. You need that or you're not going to survive. So I think we've just gotten so far away from reality sometimes that if we lost all our modern conveniences, who knows what we'd be challenged with. I know that if I had to, I'm lucky, my husband hunts and provides plenty of meat, so I don't have the desire to hunt. But if I needed to, I would. and I wouldn't think twice about it. And I think a lot of people out there who um, judge it in that situation might actually do the same thing. Um, but, you know, life gives life and nature is brutal. And if you've ever spent any time in the backcountry, if you've ever spent any time around animals and anything like that, n- nature is way harder on on um, on us and on the animals than any hunter, um, you know, taking a clean shot and respectably killing an animal um, will ever do. So I don't know. It's a uh, Good. It's a complex question.
1: It's good. <laughs> appreciate you.
2: My name is Dr. Hilary Lampers. I'm a non-hunter. And I appreciate the benefits that hunting brings to my family's health.
1: Well that's it for today. I appreciate you listening. As always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.